Good morning. Morning, Nouvelle Church. Mr. Sanjay is here with us. Hey, Mr. Sanjay, how are you? It's good to see Sanjay here. It's been a while. Sorry, I didn't mean to point him out. I didn't mean to put you on the spot there, brother. All right. We're going to go to the Lord this morning with our call to worship. If you would stand and recite it with me. It comes from Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2. Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2. Here we go. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Not a, not a stinky offering, but a fragrant offering, right? <laughs> So let's bring our fragrant offerings to God this morning as we worship together. Giver of every breath I breathe, author of all eternity. Giver of every perfect thing, to you be the glory. Maker of heaven and of earth, no one can comprehend your work. King over all the universe, to you be the glory. Y'all sing, I'm alive. I'm alive because I'm alive in and it's all because of Jesus I'm alive And it's all because the blood of Jesus Christ That covers me and raises dead man's life Sunrise sings 
Spirit is in this place this morning, y'all. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. We thank you for meeting us here, Lord. And thank you for being here with us. Somebody have a just... word of praise this morning. Somebody have a word of praise. Just something the Lord's done for you this week. Just call it out for it. Just wow. It's called the spirit of truth. Hear that, folks? That's it. You'll hear that? That's it. Preach it, sister. Keep preaching. Anybody else? Speak the truth. Anybody else? Who's got a word of praise for the Lord this morning? Miss Crystal. story of a, a little lady who was wronged by a judge, and the judge was unrighteous, and he doesn't says he doesn't care about God or men, and so he didn't care about giving justice. He didn't care about doing the right thing. He just wanted the cases off his docket, but this little lady was relentless. She was going to get justice, and so she harassed this judge night and day, it says, and just to get her to leave him alone, she finally gets justice from the judge, and he says, if, if this unrighteous judge would do this just because of her harassment... How much better would our gracious and just God be to you if you just keep asking? If you just keep asking. And then he says this. He says, but when the Son of Man returns, will there be any faith left on earth? (laughs) Miss Crystal couldn't see, church. So she prayed for two hours until her eyes worked again. Come on. Just keep pursuing him. He is good. He is good. And he does not ignore the prayers of his people. He does not ignore the prayers of his people. Church, God is doing good things. He's doing good things. I, I, I remember when I was a kid asking the question, why don't we see miracles like we did in the Bible? A few weeks ago, I saw someone ask the same question of a friend of mine on Facebook. Why don't we see stories like this happening anymore and the truth is church we do we just don't talk about them why why don't we talk about it I had a dream in my heart and I set out to pursue something that I thought I could never attain and God gave it to me that is a miracle church I couldn't see but I begged heaven and he opened my eyes that is a miracle church 
set my alarm for 7.30 p.m. instead of 7.30 a.m. this morning. But I had to be at church at 8.30, and I woke up at 8.17. That's a miracle. I got to church, and all the kids were dressed in there on time. Hallelujah. That is a miracle, church. I did not wake myself up. But I woke up, and I was like, ah! I said, Mick, get up, get up, get up. He said, you're scaring me. I'm trying to sleep. That's a miracle. We can laugh and have fun and joke, but guys, our God is good. There is no other name under heaven by which men can be rescued other than the name of Jesus. You know, that salvation we read about in Scripture, it's that... that that word we translate as salvation, it doesn't just mean that he's forgiving our sins and saving our soul for some eternal thing down the road. That word is rescue. And when we look at Jesus' rescue of people in the Gospels, what we see is that he doesn't just fix their eternity. He fixes their right now. He heals their bodies. He fixes their social problems. He returns them to, to, to... good status. He fixes their financial issues. He, he restores them in their community. He fixes families. He, he brings life where there wasn't any. He brings hope where there couldn't be any. We don't just see some future distant thing when we talk about this Jesus. This wonderful name of Jesus. You know his name actually means Yeshua. It actually means salvation. When we talk about this name, this Jesus. We're talking about a God that's good right now. Amen. Let's praise Him this morning. You know he, He's here. The God in the form of the Holy Spirit, He's with us. And sometimes, church, God wants to do something where it's, it's not just His omnipresence. It's not just His all the time, I'm there kind of presence. Sometimes he makes his presence known in a particular place at a particular time with a particular people for a very particular purpose. And I, I, I believe when we come together in the name of God and we gather in this place that the church should find themselves in this, the default position of the church should be absolutely overwhelmed by the glory of God. That's where we should find ourselves when we come in. Because when we come face to face with the almighty God of the universe who spoke light into existence before there was a sun to give it, we should be overwhelmed. We should have a shout of praise. We should have a song in our heart. We should have a dance in our feet. I think when we come here, he wants to meet us here and he wants to wreck every preconceived idea we have about what it was to show up on Sunday. I think he wants to open up the throne room of heaven and bring that glory down. And I I believe that because we see him do it in the Word. We bring down the presence when we praise him. We bring down the presence when we call on him. And we start to see these moments in our lives where we realize, my God did that. My God did that. My God did that. Let's welcome the Holy Spirit this morning. Too often the church is willing to go through the motions. We can do a 
beautiful service with all the bells and whistles and completely ignore the Holy Spirit. People can put on a really good show. My wife went and saw Paul McCartney a couple summers ago with her mom. It was an incredible show. Better than anything we could ever hope to do. The Holy Spirit wasn't in it. We could come in here and we could put on a great show every Sunday. And it might entertain people. It might even fill these seats. It might even fill our bank accounts. But if the Spirit isn't in it, there's no power for transformation. There's no power to see real change and hope and rescue in the lives of people. This morning, church, as I was worshiping, I began to feel spirit moving me and I begin to feel the spirit moving you we have to find that place of freedom where we just say come Holy Spirit we need you come sweet spirit I pray come in your strength and your power come in your own gentle way Lord this morning we welcome you here God, if we don't say that enough, we want to say it this morning, Lord. We don't want you like, like the church at, at Laodicea with, with Jesus standing outside, knocking on the door, trying to get in. Lord, you are welcome here. We want you here. We need you here. Come and fill this place. Lord, we, we, we long for your presence this morning. We long for your presence this morning. Come and fill this place. Let's sing together, church. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your Thank you. 
our prayer this morning, church. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience the glory of your
so good. You're so good, Jesus. Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. You can be seated, church. Well, good morning. It's good to see you here. Uh, Holy Spirit is here. It's going to be a great day. Um, I was just thinking, as I was standing back and looking at all the people in the church, what a beautiful, what a beautiful vision it is to see God's people in His church. And if I'm thinking that, what is God thinking? Right now, how much more, how excited is God that his people are coming to his church to praise and worship him this morning? And as we still navigate through this time of COVID and and it's still here and we're trying to be smart and we're trying to make good decisions, but you are coming and sitting in God's house and that's your priority and how we're praising him. And and I just think God's just smiling this morning, looking down at Newvale Church and all the churches across the world that are gathered and, and coming and to praise him and give him glory through this time. And, and, and we'll still be navigating through it for a little bit, looks like. But, but I thank you for being here. I'm so glad you're here. You're going to be blessed that you're here. So it's exciting to see you guys this morning. Our Wednesday services are really filling up. People are coming and it's turning out. They're having, we're having powerful Bible studies on Wednesday. So I'm just going to, the announcements, um, Jerry is still doing his men's Bible study Wednesday mornings. If you want to be a part of that, get in touch with Jerry. You can do it over Zoom um, or maybe a conference call. But anyway, get in touch with him. Uh, he'll get you plugged into that. And then at 6 o'clock on Wednesdays, adults and teens, we're having Bible study. And it's been really, really good. It's been powerful. It's been awesome to see uh, the teens again. And then I know the adults are, are just full in there. So people are are really getting blessed by that. So please come and be a part on Wednesdays, and uh, we'd love to see you. Pastor. Isn't it good when you go to church and you go to church? Come on. Why do we settle? One of my favorite authors, a lady named Rhonda Huey, who is brilliant. And she gave up her whole life to just chase revival all around the world. She wrote this book called Desperate for His Presence. And 
in this book, she says, why does the church settle for so little when God wants to give us all of himself? We just, we just barely touch the edge of what God wants to do most of the time. I read this, this really interesting book series, and it's, it's Christian fiction, and I don't really read fiction. I, I don't really care to read much at all. I, I, I've got some dyslexia issues, and I read really, really slowly. And so most of the time, if I'm reading, it's theology or you know, some kind of, of book that's going to help me be a better pastor or a better preacher or learn more about the Lord. I don't really just sit down and read for entertainment. That's what TV is for. And <clears throat> so um, now that you guys know that I'm a slacker, um, I, I just felt in my spirit God wanted me to read this series of books. It was the strangest thing. And I said, hey, Leslie, I think, I think God wants us to read these books. And she's like, do I know you? <laughs> and, um, but we read these books together, and it's, it's this story of a, of a man who mentors these, these five young adults and, and, and makes them into a ministry team that just operates in the Holy Spirit, and it's really, it's really a beautiful story. But when he first brings the team together, they don't know each other. And he brings them together at this waterfall, and it's, it's a real place in, in Washington State. And he brings them to this waterfall, and he has them stand on this deck. And as they're standing there on the desk, the deck, the, the mist from the waterfall is rising up all around them. And, and you begin to see it uh, condensate on the leaves of the trees. If you guys have ever, have ever been to a waterfall, you know what it is to, to see that cloud of mist coming up from the bottom. Anybody ever go to Niagara Falls? You ride the Maid of the Mist, you got to put on a raincoat, right? Like there's, there's a lot of mist that comes out. Well, this, this waterfall is producing all this mist. And, and, and this man, this leader, his name is Reese, he points up at the trees and he says, do you see, do you see how the mist gathers on the leaves and, and, and drips off? He says, most of the time, Christians are content to just let the mist gather. God wants to pour out the waterfall on you. God has the whole waterfall. And we're content to stand back in the mist. And think, well, I sure did get wet this morning. We've got to go all in, church. We've got to go all the way in. What if we went all the way in? Whew. I, I, I've seen glimpses. I've seen moments, services, times together, not just at church. We had a little Bible study that met in our living room with a bunch of really teenagers. We were 19, and my, my cousins started bringing all their high school friends. Jesus showed up in my little nasty one-room apartment. He did. Leslie nearly set the place on fire trying to like burn sins in a, bu- in a bucket. But, but Jesus showed up. It's a true story. Like four years later, we saw one of those kids that was a teenager at the time at Cracker Barrel. And he's like, I know you. You're the lady that almost set the house on fire at the Bible study. 
It's like, yep, that's me. And we laugh, and he's like, you know what, though? I have never forgotten what I put in that bucket. (laughs) Sometimes, y'all, we just settle for the mist. And he wants us to go all the way, all the way. We talked about this reality a couple weeks ago that God has purpose and calling, and we've been formed and, and made on purpose and for purpose. We talked last week about the, the gifts of grace that the Father gives us. The gifts of grace, and we talked about that list in Romans chapter 12. And those gifts and, of grace are, are things that He does for us because it's gracious, right? Grace is always a free gift. It's always something you receive. You don't give yourself a gift. That's not how gifts work. Gifts have to be given by someone else. It's something we receive from God, but those are the things that are innate in you. Those gifts from the Lord are the things that are just part of who you are. It's the way he made you. It's the way he formed you on purpose. He, he formed you to be a good leader. He formed you to, be a, a, to have a servant's heart. He formed you to be encouraging. He formed you to hear well and to speak well. Those are the things that he, he made those things in you, and they're just a part of who you are. And all of those things serve a purpose in the kingdom and in the church. This week I want to talk to us, I want to talk to you a little bit about another person of the Godhead and what he has to offer the church, and, and that is the Holy Spirit. So I want to talk to you about Holy Spirit this morning and, and what, it means, what it means to really walk in the Spirit. I want to present to you this morning the idea that the Holy Spirit is, is more than just a... a we, we sometimes hear the, the Holy Spirit as this counselor. We think of him as a guide. I've heard people describe the Holy Spirit as my conscience. All those things are accurate, but insufficient. The Holy Spirit is, is God. Are any of those descriptions sufficient for God? No, but, but the thing about the Holy Spirit is that, that the Holy Spirit is the, the person of the Godhead who is specifically intended to interact with me, in me, and through me. This is the person of the Godhead who operates here and now. There was a period of 33 years when Jesus, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, took on flesh, and he operated on earth. But that was limiting, right? When Jesus put on flesh, it was the only way we could understand who God was. And, and, and we, we hear in Hebrews that Jesus was the exact representation of God. Okay, And in John 1, uh, verse 18, it says that Jesus put on flesh so that he could make God known to us. We could not understand this otherworldly, spiritual, eternal, the, all these things that we can't even comprehend, no beginning. We don't understand things that don't have a beginning. And so that we could understand at least his heart, Jesus put on flesh. But when he put on flesh, he couldn't be everywhere. Right? When the Son became human... It says that he surrendered, laid down his glory. He laid down some of his 
some of His deity to come here. It says that even though He was of the very nature, the same stuff of God, He didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to. Instead, He humbled Himself and He made Himself like us. Now, if that's true, if that's true what Paul says there in Philippians 3, excuse me, Philippians 2, if he really made himself like us, then that means he was like us, right? Last week, Brandy was eating some good food somewhere on the Gulf Coast. I saw pictures. So you were here too, right? No, of course not. We can't be two places at once. Jesus would... would preach to a crowd, and then he would go into a room and he would close the door and he would talk to the twelve. Because he couldn't speak to those guys the same way he spoke to these guys, but he couldn't do both at the same time. And Jesus, at at the Last Supper, he says to his disciples, I'm going away, and where I'm going you can't go, but it's better for you if I go away. And they're like, how can it be better if you go away, Jesus? He's like, because if I go away, I'm sending one who can be with you and in you. The Holy Spirit. Because see, once, once Jesus ascended and he, he, was, he was not just given back his former glory, he was raised to an even greater glory, it tells us in Philippians 2. And he was put at the right hand of God and he was seated on the throne and he was lifted up above all others. He sat down in his deity and glory once again. And he sent to us the Holy Spirit. And it was better that we get the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit could be with us and in us. No more limitations. Right? This is intimate, immediate, ever-present access to God Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. To everyone at every moment of human history. This is what the Holy Spirit offers the church. That is incredible. That is incredible. Paul tells us the Spirit is that we're supposed to do a few things in our relationship to the Lord. First, when we are saved, when we confess our sin, when we declare our our relationship with Jesus, that we believe He is who He said He was, and we begin our walk with Him, we are first filled with the Spirit. That's part of our... That's part of our salvation. When we come to this place where we say, Jesus, we need you, he's like, yes, now I'm sending you the Spirit. Immediately, we're filled with the Spirit. That is all over the New Testament. Now, here's the problem. We're filled with the Spirit, but we don't know how to submit to it yet. He fills us with it, so the Spirit is present with us, and he's trying to do work, but but what the Spirit is really good at is shining a light in those dark areas of our life that really need fixed. And he starts to lead and guide and direct and shape and mold and build and make us something we couldn't be on our own because now we've opened our heart and we've said, okay, Jesus, you're Lord now. And so once we say that, the Spirit starts to do his work. But we haven't been in relationship long enough to understand that submission is really where we find freedom. 
There's freedom in submission. There's freedom in submission. If I'm standing in line at the bank waiting to cash my check and all of a sudden the place is surrounded by police officers, I don't have to worry, are they here for me? Because I'm not there to rob the bank, right? (laughs) I'm not there to rob the bank. I've submitted to the rules of society that say don't rob banks. Right? So I don't have any fear when law enforcement shows up because I've submitted to their authority. Thus I walk around free instead of incarcerated. Right? There's freedom in submission. But we don't, we don't understand that at first. When the Spirit starts to lead and starts to guide, it's really a difficult thing. When we start to lose control of our own life. The truth is we never actually had control, but we like to pretend we did. It was all spiraling completely out of control and we were just going downhill fast. But we like to pretend and think that we had some level of control over what was going on. But when the Spirit says, okay, you know that didn't work out so well, why don't you let me? We're like, oh, oh. I don't know about that. But as we walk with the Lord, we begin, Paul says that, that the next thing that happens after we're filled with the Spirit is that we need to allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit. We have to be led by the Spirit. We have to, we have to submit to His position in our life. And we have to... We have to be led by Him. We have to start letting Him make decisions. We have to start letting Him direct our steps and our path, the words that come out of our mouth, the thoughts that cross our mind. We have to let Him start to take over. We have to let Him lead. As we do that, we learn submission. We also learn freedom. And as we walk this path being led by the Spirit, what we begin to see is that the more we submit, the more He he does, and the more like Him we become. There comes a point when we followed His leadership long enough that we realize, this is good. And the things that I used to want, I don't want those things anymore. Because I know where that got me. But I see what the Spirit is calling me to want. And I, I want those things now. And we begin to just follow as the Spirit leads us into something new. Something better. This is why Paul talks about having your mind transformed. About being renewed. It's why he talks about everything's a new creation. It's why he's constantly talking about this concept that you can be something you aren't now. Because the Spirit is going to lead you there. Then there's the third thing. And this thing we don't talk about much. I'm not really sure why. Maybe it's because it requires some, I don't know, Greek word study. (laughs) But there's this concept, there's this concept in the New Testament where the Holy Spirit will fill us, the Holy Spirit will lead us, and then the Holy Spirit will actually activate us. We don't talk about that one a lot. 
kind of in, in vague, big, broad strokes, we'll talk about, yeah, the Spirit helped me do this. But let's really dive into that. There's this, we, we talked last week about charismata, right? Activated by a free gift. There's this word we find in the New Testament, and it's pneumaticus. Pneuma being spirit, modicus activated by, put into motion by. We still use this word. If you hook up a wrench to an air compressor, we call that tool what? Pneumatic. Pneumatic. Activated by air. It's the same word. It's the same word. But if you don't hook that wrench to the compressor, is it worth anything? It's a paperweight, right? It's just a big hunk of useless metal. And the realities are that, that God says that He wants to use the Holy Spirit to actually put us into motion and do things that we otherwise could not do. That pneumaticus is, is super important to Paul and to the early church. It is the driving force that takes 12 men in an upper room and changes the globe in 35 years. Guys, by, by 70 AD, Christianity had gone from Iraq to England. They changed the world in a shorter span than my lifetime. This happened because they were empowered and activated by the Holy Spirit and He sent them out to accomplish things that none of them were capable of accomplishing without Him. I want to talk to you this morning about what it is to live this pneumaticus, to live a life activated by the Spirit. We talked last week about what God gives us that is, that, that's used to benefit and, and, and encourage the church, God the Father. This week I want to talk about what the Spirit gives us and does to us that we're supposed to use to benefit, build up the church, and bring the lost to the Lord. This all has a purpose. The purpose is always kingdom, 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 kingdom. Paul tells the Corinthians in chapter 2, I wish I could talk to you. We translate it like spiritual men. But that word spiritual, it, it actually is this word pneumaticus. I wish I could talk to you like people set in motion by the Spirit. He says, but I can't. I can't because you're still stuck on the very basic things of Christianity, drinking milk when you should have been eating meat. You're babies. And I wish I could talk to you like you were grown-ups. But I can't, because you won't submit yourself to the Spirit. And if you don't submit, you're never led. And if you're never led, you're never in a position where He can use you. And he says, I wish I could talk to you like, like men activated by the Spirit. But you're not there. Church, this morning, I want to talk to you about being activated by the Spirit. I don't know if you're there yet or not. I think some of you are. Some of you probably aren't. But I want to tell you this morning, that is what God has for you, wants for you, and will do for you if you will just let Him. 
He will set you into motion. And when God starts doing things, it's not like when you do things. <laughs> when God starts doing things, it's not like when you do things. I was talking about Exodus yesterday with Gary at lunch and Moses gets to the edge of the Red Sea and the army is bearing down on him. They've got an ocean in front of them and an army behind them. And the people go, what? There weren't enough graves in Egypt for you to kill us there? You had to just drag us out in the desert so we could die? And Moses says, God, what am I supposed to do? And God says, you do nothing. The battle is mine. And Moses is like, really, God? (laughs) And the people are like, no, we don't like this plan. And Moses is like, I don't know what to do. And God's like, just just walk out into the water. Take your little stick, hit the water. Just be led. And Moses walks out and he touches the water with his staff. And and it says that the, the water splits and forms a wall on each side. And the ground dries out at the bottom of a sea. (laughs) And all the people walk to safety. And then the enemy is swallowed up behind them. You see, when we just let God determine our steps and we let Him put us into motion, when God does things, He doesn't do things like we do things. If Moses had been like, okay guys, let's get all the guys with the weapons up front, form a circle, let's build a perimeter... Turn the carts over, we're circling the wagons, you know, cowboys and Indian style. This would have been a very bad day for Moses and the Israelites. But when God does things, He doesn't do things like we do them. Church, I want to talk to you like spiritual men. Like men who are set in, men and women who are set into motion by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I want to read with you this morning from 1 Corinthians 12. And um, we're going to start at verse 1. He says, About the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. And we talked about that word gifts last week, right? And, and we, we talked about that word charis. The problem with this passage, guys, is that that word's not in there, in the Greek. It doesn't appear. What it actually says there is now about the pneumaticus. I don't want you to be uninformed. About being activated by the Spirit, I don't want you to be uninformed. And so, Paul is talking to these people who are experiencing some amazing things in the Lord, but they don't know what to do with them yet because they're still infants. And he says, I want you guys to understand what God is trying to do in you and through you. You need to understand this if you're going to live in it. And so he says, I I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that you were pagan. Somehow you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. And what he's saying is, you guys followed lots of things before, and what you followed before were things that couldn't do anything. So why not follow a God who can do everything? Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit says Jesus is cursed. 
And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, why does Paul say this? Saying Jesus is Lord is the most basic thing in all of Christianity, right? I mean, like, that is our first declaration of faith. And Paul's saying even the most minute aspect of your faith is still motivated by the Holy Spirit. You can't even say Jesus is Lord if the Spirit isn't leading you there. In the Church of the Nazarene, in the Wesleyan Armenian tradition, we say that this is what we call prevenient grace. This means that before we're even ready to accept God, He is already coming to us and offering us this beautiful gift of grace before we even know what to do with it. So the Holy Spirit is actually the one who's drawing us in to even realize we need saved. We can't even do that without Him. We can't even realize our brokenness without Him. You can go to the next one. Now, this is, this is reminiscent of what we read last week. In Romans 12, I want you to see how closely these, these passages are tied together in Romans 12 and Corinthians 12. He says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. Now here we, we, see, we do see the word charis here. It comes back, okay? There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit is distributing them. This is exactly the same thing that he says to the Romans. And he says there are different kinds of service. Okay, there are different, there are different ways that you can, you can go about working for the Lord. But the same Lord, he says there are different kinds of working, but in all of them, everyone is, excuse me, everyone is the same God at work. Now, I want to talk a little bit about this one because when I read in the original language, it was really cool. What it says is there are different kinds of effects. There are different kinds of effects. But in all of these effects, they're energized by the same God. I thought that was really important as I read it. You see, sometimes in the church, what happens is, and we talked last week a little bit about that divide between the charismatic movement and the holiness movement in the early 1900s. We touched on that a little bit last week. And a lot of what happened there that created division is because when the Holy Spirit showed up and it started affecting people, these people on this side said we don't like the way it's affecting those people. And the people on this side said we don't like the way it's not affecting those people. And so we split and went different ways. You see, this is, this is, the, this is the tactic of the enemy. He whispers the lie in our ear, well, these people aren't really experiencing anything from the Lord. And then he uses what we see in the physical as evidence for his lie. Oh, well, you've never experienced anything like that, so it, it must be fake. You know God, you don't experience that. It's never, the Holy Spirit's presence never affected you like that, so it can't be real. Or, well, these people don't seem to be moved at all. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you can't help but shout, but they just sit there. They must not be experiencing anything from the Lord at all. They don't know God. Right? The enemy whispers these lies and he, he uses our experience to, to back them up. But it's all a lie. And there, 
What Paul tells us here is there are different kinds of effects when we get into this relationship with the Lord and the Holy Spirit is starting to do stuff. He says about being activated by the Spirit, I don't want you to be uninformed. It's going to affect different people differently. You are not going to worship like me and that is fine. In fact, it's on purpose. In that passage we read last week, it says that there are different kinds of grace, or excuse me, there are are different kinds of of gifts because God gives grace differently. That's what it says in Romans. He doesn't give you the same grace He gives me. It's unique. It's intentional. It's designed for you by God Almighty. And because of that, when we come into contact with God, we respond differently. The effects of this movement of the Holy Spirit on each one of us is going to be unique to each one of us. When I was a kid, I grew up with, with these wonderful people who, who had served uh, 25 years in the mission field in Argentina. And they came home after 25 years in the field and they, they uh, pastored a small church in a neighboring town. Uh, close to us, kind of like we are from Crowley, about half an hour away. And they were really good friends with my grandparents. And so they were always around. They came to our family functions. I adored them. Well, they retired and moved to my hometown and started attending my church. And these people were... If anybody has ever been filled with the Spirit, it was Melvin and Carol Wilkinson. And Reverend Wilkinson was about six foot three. He was a track star in high school and college. He was tall and thin. He walked in a room and everyone knew Melvin Wilkinson was in the room. He was loud. He was jolly. That's the only word I can say. He laughed all the time. He never walked... I never saw the man without a smile on his face, ever. He would bust into song in a moment. He shouted. He hollered. Just in conversation. He was just this big, giant personality. And in church, oh, he played the piano like nobody could play the piano. I mean, I don't know how it didn't catch on fire. I mean, he just burned that thing up. And he would sing, and he would play, and he would shout, and he would weep. And we'd be in service sometimes, and he'd jump up off the chair, Woo! 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 And he was an old man! And he'd get fired up and he'd high step. We called it the Wilkinson Express. Because he looked like a train. Woo! 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 And he'd just chug around the sanctuary. Meanwhile, his wife, Carol, was real short. And Lord bless her, she was about as wide as she was tall. Sweetest, kindest, most gentle, godly, wonderful lady you could ever imagine. And she would sit on the pew, and while Reverend Wilkinson was running circles and shouting, she'd sit quietly and just tears would come down her face. That was it. The Spirit's going to affect you differently. But the same God energizes both responses. We have got to stop looking at one another when the Holy Spirit shows up and say, well, why is He responding that way? Why did He do it this way? Why don't we just look at the Spirit? 
that's activating everybody. And say, praise God, we were all affected by His presence this morning. And stop worrying about how everybody else is affected. The same God is energizing it all. I don't want you to be uninformed, church. I don't want you to be uninformed. Because when we're uninformed, what happens when we have misinformation is that then we have malformed practice. It's the same God at work every time. Every time. Then we get to verse 7. He says, now to each one of you. Now it's personal. To every single one of you. Look at this Greek word, each one, you know what it means? Each one. Every single one. No one is left out. To each one of you, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. I want to talk about a couple things in this verse real quick. First, this word manifestation. That's a weird word we don't use a lot, right? But it's kind of an important word in the New Testament. For something to be made manifest means that what was formerly not visible becomes visible. A thing that was formerly not known becomes known. Something that was absent becomes present. Okay? So when we talk about the manifestation of the Spirit, what we're talking about is the Spirit was present, but now He's making things that once were invisible, visible. Those things that were unseen become seen. This is when heaven starts to show up at church. And He says, each one of you, to each one of you, this manifestation of the Spirit is given. This is given to all of you. This thing where the Spirit starts making things happen in you that formerly were invisible, that were unknown, that were unseeable, unreachable. You know we have a supernatural God? You can't experience a supernatural God any way other than supernaturally. You don't experience a supernatural naturally. It's impossible. And so when we talk about this manifestation, it's those, those deep, unbelievable, only God can do kind of things that we know He can do, all of a sudden they start to burst up in our midst. He wants to give this to each of you. To each of you, this is given. And we're, we're told a reason. It's given... For the common good. The Holy Spirit does these things in and through us for each other. (laughs) Thank God! And people say, I don't need church. I could read the Bible. I pray. I talk to God. I don't need organized religion. Anybody who thinks there's organized religion at church has obviously never been to a staff meeting. Disorganized religion, maybe. Chaotic by the seat of your pants ministry. We could have religion. We could call it that, maybe. I don't need all that. Well, yes, you do. Because the Spirit is giving you things for each other. 
But if we're never together, then what Nick gets for the common good, none of you are ever going to get. We need each other, church. Because the Holy Spirit is giving something to Miss Carol that I can't get. It's specific for her. It's grace designed just for her. Given just to her. Filtered through the way she was made and the things she was purposed to do. And then He activates her in this specific moment for a specific reason. And boom, it hits me. But if I wasn't here, it's for the common good. It's for the common good. It's for the common good. The good. The good. We use, we use these things sometimes to create factions, divisions, backroom conversations. I don't know if he should have really done what he did there. had somebody tell me, I don't think you should ever just walk up to somebody and say, well, the Lord told me this. This is what God says for you. Because, well, I don't know what God says for you. Well, I don't either unless God tells me. But then what am I supposed to do? Just sit on it? No, He gives us these things for the common good. And these things are intended for good. Humanity can break them. And that's why Paul is having to tell these people in Corinth, look, here's how you're supposed to do this. That's why this whole chapter and the next chapter and the next chapter are even in the book. Because these people are operating in something, but they're not using it for the good. They're using it to create division. They're using it to create a hierarchy. Look how much more spiritual I am than you. He says, I don't want you to be misinformed about how this is supposed to be. This is supposed to be for everybody's good. Every one of you can be set in motion by the Spirit for the good of everyone else. We're going to talk real quick through this list. What are you laughing at? Because I said real quick. We'll see. Um, Leslie's laughing at me. That's not fair. Uh, it says the first thing the Spirit gives us, the first manifestation of the Spirit listed is a word of wisdom. A word of wisdom. Have you guys ever found yourself in a position where you're talking to a friend who maybe they've got some difficult situation going on, and before you know it, there are words coming out of your mouth that are so good you want to take notes on yourself? You're like, where in the world did that come from? I am not nearly that deep. Right? That's a word of wisdom. That's when the Spirit blasts you with this thing that that all of a sudden you're tapped in to the understanding of the Godhead and He brings it out of your mouth. And you start to see a reality that you could have never even dreamed up in your own wisdom. But the Holy Spirit will set you into motion and the wisdom of God Almighty, Creator of the universe can be funneled, channeled, and pushed out through you. Holy smoke. We need some of that. 
See, as we work through this list, guys, you're going to see, man, does the church need these things. Not just the church. If the church was operating in these things, holy smoke what we could bring to the world. A word of knowledge. Sometimes we get knowledge and wisdom confused in Western culture. They're not the same thing. People can be book smart and have no sense, right? Lord bless them. I don't have either one. <laughs> knowledge is different. It's not, it's not this, this sudden, you know, with wisdom, it's more like all of a sudden you get to see the big picture. You get this big, in-depth understanding of circumstances beyond you. With knowledge is very specific. Knowledge is very specific. Knowledge is that moment, even this morning, guys, I'm sitting here on the front row facing this way, and the Lord says, there's a man in the back who's broken right now. I got up and turned around to see who was broken, because I didn't know yet. But I knew somebody needed to hear from the Lord this morning, because he just told me so. So I just got up and scanned the room. There was one person. Very specifically, the Lord said, go. That's a word of knowledge. And I think if we're walking with the Lord, we've had those moments where God just told you, this, this is something you have to know right now. Where he's given you insight into a situation that you couldn't have had otherwise. I had a pastor when I was a teenager. I was a complete and utter disaster. Okay? My pastor, I had to go to church. That was, there was never an option of going to church at my house, okay? So regardless of how far from the Lord I was, I had to be at church. Well, my pastor, we'd sit on the back row, all the teens, and a pastor would walk in from his office on Sunday morning, and he'd come by and he'd say hi to all the teenagers, and then he'd lean down and he'd whisper in my ear some smart aleck remark, like, you know, how was your date with what's your name last night only he'd have a name how did you did you have fun at so and so's house yesterday and he'd be like wait hold what who's in my business like the youth group swore we had a rat or this guy had like a red batman phone directly to heaven because he knew things that he could not know what really started getting me is when he started questioning me about things that I had never told anyone in detail. Things that happened by myself. And that word of knowledge broke me. Week after week after week. I would come in, and as much as I tried to avoid God, I couldn't. <laughs> Faith. I like this one. In the Greek, the word is pistis. And the, the weird thing about this is that we think, we translate this faith, the actual word is persuasion. What's weird about this one, and the reason I like it so much, is that in English, persuasion is a verb. Right? It's something you do. 
In Greek, this word pistis is a noun. <laughs> it's a thing. It's something you are. And, and as I read that, I was like, that's kind of interesting. This idea of faith is that you are persuaded. You are convinced. Sometimes we're charged with this, with this task of, of having faith, right? We talked about that last week. The good news is that we don't have to come up with that faith on our own. The Holy Spirit will give us faith. Now, I want you to know that these, these gifts of the Spirit, we're going to see this at, we'll see it at the end of this passage in 12. He says that He gives us these things. He gives them when they're appropriate to who it needs to be given to. So these aren't things that like when you get blasted with faith, you're just going to be a person filled with faith for the rest of your life. You'll never doubt again. You're not just going to all of a sudden be, be hit with wisdom and now you're going to be the wisest guy in Lafayette. That's not, that's not how this works. He's going to give this to you when you need it. He's going to put that into motion through you right then for a purpose in that moment. Okay? It's not like this, this somehow shifts your person and now you're going to be this all-knowing wizard who just is in everybody's business. Okay? He's going to give you that when you need it in the moment. And the same is true for this, this, this idea of, of being utterly convinced. We have to develop our faith. Our faith has to be grown. And that takes practice and time. But there are moments when a person will just get just smashed with the Holy Spirit and they'll be so full of faith that nothing could move them. And the amazing thing about this for the church is that when that person gets filled with faith, they can raise the faith level of the whole room. When that one person says, wait, I know this looks dark, but my God... But my God, I know what He can do. I've seen Him do it. And they start to, to spill this. They're activated by this faith that the Spirit's put into them. And they, they, they lift the whole room up to their level. It's for the common good. It's not just so that they have this little moment where they can move a mountain. It's so they have a little moment so they can move all our mountains. Healing. You know, the Church of the Nazarene actually has an article of faith about this one. I don't know why this is the only one on the list that we have an article of faith about, but it is. I think it's because people are kind of weird about it. I tell people I believe in miraculous healing, and they say, well, does that mean you don't go to the doctor? Of course not. I believe God uses doctors to miraculously heal my body. I also believe that God uses miraculous healing to confound the wise. Right? <laughs> he, tells, he tells the Colossians, God uses foolishness so that the wise people are like, wait, hold on, what happened? I had a friend named Bill, he had brain tumors. He went in for surgery, they scanned his brain, he had no brain tumors. They said, what in the world happened to you? He's like, oh my God! And he led his atheist doctor to the Lord. the common good, church. For the common good. I have seen healing thousands of times. Thousands. 
I remember a point in my life when I was asking the Lord, why don't I get to see this? And then I started pursuing something different. I stopped pursuing church. I stopped pursuing a vocation. I stopped pursuing a, a, a great program. And I started pursuing Jesus. And you know what I found when I found Jesus? Healing. When I started pushing through the crowd and all the nonsense and I just got to the hem of His garment, you know what I found? If I just touched Him, power would go out from Him and we'd find healing. I have seen thousands of people get healed. I've seen people get up out of wheelchairs. I've seen mute people speak. I've seen deaf people hear. I've seen blind people see. I've watched people have surgery on their knees and then take off their braces and walk and never have any problems. I've seen heart valves healed. I've seen holes in hearts closed. I've seen tumors vanish. I've watched cancer disappear dozens of times. I've seen dry wombs have birth. I've seen the dead raised. Church, we can't do this one. The world can... There are these two guys in Exodus, Janus and Jambros, and they're wizards for the, for the Pharaoh. And at first when Moses comes and he starts doing signs, they can do some of it. They can do magic tricks that mimic what he's doing. Sometimes the world can mimic wisdom. They can make a beautiful counterfeit of wisdom. A lot of times we call it counseling, right? <laughs> We can make a beautiful, a beautiful counterfeit of knowledge. We can even make a great counterfeit of faith. Or we can be utterly convinced of something. Think about the prophets in the Old Testament. Pastor Sanjay was talking about this Wednesday night. The pastors and, I mean, the prophets, so-called prophets in Jeremiah, who has Jeremiah saying, hey, here's the word of the Lord. They're like, oh, no, 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 that's not what God says. Let me raise your faith up. And remember, we had this temple, and he gave us this land. And, and all the people are like, yeah! Until Babylon kicks the doors in and carries them all off in cages. We can do a good job counterfeiting faith. Church, we can't counterfeit healing. Now, we might fake it. We all know those guys on TV, right? That pretend people get healed. That's not the same thing. That's just a lie. That's just a fake. We can't counterfeit actual healing. Now, sometimes we can call it science. We can call it medicine. But how do we find those things? How do we figure out this chemical combination if I take it in this dosage is going to make my body better? And why does it work sometimes and doesn't work others? And y'all, sometimes the Lord just does it. We can't fake that one. Miraculous powers. This one... This one is really interesting. Miraculous powers. I think a lot of times when we start talking about miracles, we tend to go straight to healing because I think that's something the church asks for a lot. What if we ask for other things? 
right? A couple years ago, there was a, a refugee camp. And there was a, a Christian aid group who came and brought meals to these refugees. There were almost 20,000 refugees in this camp. And they were supposed to get this massive delivery of food for these people, and only one truck came. They only had 1,400 meals. When the truck pulls in, everybody knows this is food. And so the crowd comes running and gathers around the truck, and the volunteers are in the truck, and they're passing out meals just as fast as they can pass them out. And, and they keep working, and they keep working, and they keep working, and they keep working, and eventually there's no more crowd. And the workers think, well, I guess they figured out there wasn't enough food. You know, the truck was empty. I guess everybody went home. And as they looked around, there was no crowd left, and they had six boxes of food and six workers. And they took their lunch, and they went into the camp to eat, and when they got in there, every single person had a box. The whole camp had been fed. In the chaos, in the, in the fray of just trying to get boxes to hungry people, they didn't even realize they just passed out ten times as many boxes as they had. God does whatever he wants. Nothing's impossible for him. And sometimes the Holy Spirit wants to activate you to do something you could not do. He does that. And he does it for the common good. Prophecy. We talked about this one last week. You know what's interesting about prophecy? Prophecy comes in the gifts of the Father, the manifestations of the Spirit, and the callings of Christ, which we're going to talk about next week. I think prophecy is important to God. We talked about that last week. I won't go into a lot of detail. It's just hearing from the Lord and saying it. I think that's supposed to be a part of our life all the time. And I think some people, God has specifically made better attuned to hear his voice than others or better equipped to speak it than others. I think we read that last week. I think he does that. But sometimes God will blast you with the Holy Spirit and you will just be able to, to bring his word out in, with power and authority in a way you were not able to do before, in a way you would never be able to do by yourself. Distinguishing between spirits. When I, when I read this one, I always think of my grandmother. My dad's mom, she, she has severe dyslexia. She stopped going to school when she was in third grade. Uh, she taught herself to read in her 60s. She's, she's a pretty remarkable lady. But she was very poorly educated, grew up on a tobacco farm in Kentucky. But my grandmother, despite her lack of formal education, was one of the finest readers of human character I have ever seen. She could look at a person and know their heart in minutes. She just had this innate thing in her where she just she could just she could just see through you. And I believe with my whole heart that this is precisely what the Holy Spirit was doing through my grandmother. That he was enabling her with this divine gift to see people for who they were. And to, to look at a circumstance and to see it for what it is. 
The, the, the concept of this distinguishing between spirits in first century Judaism is that, that there is, there is this, this second realm of spiritual life that goes on all around us and that there's a constant struggle between the spirit of God and the spirit of evil and that there are spiritual entities at work in our world all the time. And what Paul is saying is that the Holy Spirit will open your eyes for a minute to look into this realm and distinguish what is of God and what is not. What is motivating this moment? What has, what has caused this little thing to, to happen in my world? And, and I know some people who distinguish the Spirit. One of my, my dearest friends, Pastor Gay Bosley, she has just this depth of insight into spiritual things that, that I wish I could have. But the Holy Spirit hits her with that in moments when it's needed for the common good. And sometimes I have that thing. Sometimes he lets me have that, but it's when he decides, right? It's when he decides. Speaking in various kinds of tongues, these, these last two get complicated because these two gifts have caused more division in the church than maybe anything in the history of the world. I don't know, maybe the filioque if we want to go all the way back to the great schism. But... <clears throat> In modern history, nothing has caused more problems in the church than the understanding of these two things. Nothing. This is not complicated, church. It's not scary. It's not weird. The Holy Spirit, in the Word, does some things that we don't understand. What it says here is that and it's very specific when Paul says that. He says that we're going to speak various kinds of tongues. Now, he doesn't say various languages. He said various types, various categories of tongues. There, there are a few specific categories listed in Scripture. The first one is known languages. We see that, for instance, in Acts at the day of Pentecost when we know there are 13 languages represented and these guys bust out of a room and they're all speaking languages they don't know and everybody on the ground could hear them in their own language. Okay, so we see that in Scripture. And sometimes we want to reduce this and say that's what this means in its entirety, but that is only one category of four listed in the New Testament of tongues. So if we want to just reduce it to that, we have to ignore the other three. I think that's dangerous to ignore Scripture. It's hard. I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I told you all, I'm a Nazarene, and this one is uncomfortable for Nazarenes. I remember wrestling through this theologically some years ago, and this one was difficult for me because I'd been trained in a very particular way to think about this. But when I started taking my training and my thinking and I put it up against the Scripture, what I thought and how I had been trained didn't match. So what do I choose? What I thought or the Word? I have to choose the Word. That is a hard place to find yourself. As a pastor and a teacher, when what I think and what I've been teaching doesn't line up with the Word. The other categories of, of these various categories of tongues, we know that we hear Paul talk about the tongues of angels. I don't know what that is. But he describes it as a language of prayer in 1 Corinthians 14. There's a prayer tongue. According to Paul, 
He actually says in 1 Corinthians 14 that he prays this way every day. And then he desires, that's what he says, I desire that all of you do this. That's, the Church of the Nazarene kind of likes to ignore that sentence. He says, he says to, to one church, I can't even remember where it is right now because my brain went blank, that he knows a man who was lifted into the third heaven. And there he heard language of heaven that was too holy to even utter in this world. That's another category of tongue listed in the Bible. The last one comes to us in, in Mark chapter 16. And Jesus says that when we are following him, that we'll begin to speak with a new tongue, a kainos glossé. This word kainos that we translate as new, it's not, like, it's not like it's a new invention, like it didn't exist before. It's more like fresh. It's like you had a rotten banana tongue and now you have a nice, pretty yellow banana tongue. It's new. And he says that, that this new tongue, this new tongue will be a sign that we have been with Jesus. We're going to talk different if we've been with Jesus. Bryn moved in our house and she'd lived most of her life somewhere else and she has a lot of things that are unique to her in our family. But over time, what I began to see is that all of us started taking on things that Bryn says. I started watching my kids call everything a guy. Because Bryn is always like, hey, where's my little uh, book guy? Hey, would you hand me that uh, fork guy? It's just a silly little thing she does. But I started to see everybody in the house started calling things guys. See, because who you hang around with dictates how you talk. You hang around with somebody long enough, your speech pattern starts to look like theirs. There are four categories of tongues described for us in the New Testament, but only one of them says it's going to be a sign that you are with Jesus. And that's this new talk. This new talk. But sometimes, church, the Holy Spirit is going to give us supernaturally this ability to talk in ways we weren't talking before. I think sometimes that's known languages. I think sometimes that's an unknown language where we're just talking to God. And he knows, but we don't. It says that in Romans, the Spirit speaks for us when we don't know what to speak. I don't understand that, church. I don't have to. I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to nail it down. God can do whatever he wants. The division has come from one group of people saying that if you don't have this experience, you don't know the Holy Spirit. And another group of people saying if you do have that experience, well, it was just of the devil, it's all fake. That's where the division was. The truth is in the middle. This is a biblical reality and we can't get away from it. It's there. You cannot read the New Testament and not find it. It is a biblical reality. But nowhere in the New Testament is it a doctrinal necessity. Never does it say you have to have this experience or you don't know God. That's not there. But you know what else isn't there? 
the conversation that this thing is bad and we shouldn't have it. In fact, you know what it says, the last verse of 1 Corinthians 14, it says, do not forbid the speaking in tongues. That's what it says. And we've got to find a place where we're allowed to let the Spirit do what He says He's going to do. Now, I told you guys, this, I've been uncomfortable with this. Because I grew up Nazarene, but this wasn't my experience. My kids were watching a cartoon the other day, and I don't even know what they were watching, but one of the characters says, It's new and it's different, therefore we must be afraid. <laughs> this is how people are. It's new and it's different, I have to be afraid of it. We don't have anything to fear when the Holy Spirit is trying to do something for the common good. We don't have anything to fear. Now, I, I, I do want to say that every one of these things, the enemy will try to counterfeit. But remember this, we don't try to counterfeit things that don't have value. Nobody tries to make fake monopoly money. Right? It's not worth anything. What would be the point? Nobody tries to counterfeit Walmart vases, right? We try to counterfeit a Ming Dynasty vase, right? Because it has value. If the enemy is trying to counterfeit something, he's trying to use it to twist something, it must have value to the church. He must be trying to steal it from us. Trying to pull one over on us. There's value here. One of my best friends... He's a pastor in the Church of God. Zach is here this morning. It's his dad. I went into a community service one night, very, very broken. And DeMond Kennedy came and laid his hands on me. And he prayed over me. And neither one of us know one word he said. But I know what happened. As he prayed over me, I didn't need to understand the words. He wasn't talking to me. And as he talked to his God and the Spirit spoke through him, God came over me with such peace, and comfort, and hope. I couldn't say it was fake. Because it was used for the common good. These prayer languages, they're, they're, they're different. Sometimes there's a public declaration of tongues. And Paul says when there's a public declaration of tongues, not a, conversa- not a private conversation between you and God, but when there's a public declaration of tongues in the body, there should be interpretation. Those moments... I. I I've been in in two services, actually, at Pastor DeMond's church where this happened. Where someone was hit with a message and they stood and they, they said words they didn't understand and then someone else stood up and said, this is what God has to say to us this morning. And I promise, it was incredible. And it wasn't phony. And it built up the church. And it edified the body. And it made everybody in the room closer to the Lord because we'd experienced something that was beyond us. 
Now, I want to I end this morning saying this, guys. If we're, if we're pushing toward the Spirit, and we're pushing to this place where we let the Spirit have His way among us, and we're trying to operate as spiritual men, men activated by the Spirit, we're going to be pushing for a certain level of freedom that defies our, our bulletins and our service orders, our, our time we're supposed to get done. I didn't preach that long today, but we spent a good bit of time this morning just letting God do what he wanted to do. So we're going to be here a little later. If we're pushing for this kind of freedom, we're going to have to battle some chaos. We have to find the balance, and that will take time. And sometimes that means that you're going to be asked to come under the authority of the leader in the room. Sometimes people can get out of hand. Sometimes we can be moved in a, method, in a means that's inappropriate. We're going to have to learn how to live this lifestyle of being moved and activated by the Spirit together. But I promise, church, that if we will let the Holy Spirit blow through us, we'll do things we couldn't do. We'll see things we could have never seen. We'll experience things together we could have never experienced. And we'll build one another up in ways we could have never accomplished by ourselves. We are His church. Let's let him have his way here. Let's just let him have his way. Be filled, be led, be activated by the Spirit. Let him be made manifest through you. Let's pray. God, we love you. We honor you. We thank you this morning for what it is that you have offered to us. Lord, we, we just say this morning that we love you. Come and have your way among us. Have your way among us. In Jesus' name, amen.